Thanks for tuning into the Glossy Beauty Podcast. I'm your host, Liz Flora. If you followed beauty dupe trends on TikTok, you've most likely come across a product or two from Milani Cosmetics. The mass makeup brand has had quite a few products go viral now, thanks to influencers like Michaela Noguera, who love to talk about dupes. For this week's episode, I talked to the brand's CMO, Jeremy Lowenstein, all about its marketing strategy at a time when both TikTok and inflation are making price a big focus in beauty. We talked a lot about the brand's overall influencer marketing and social strategies, how social is helping it compete with bigger conglomerate-owned brands, and how TikTok has become its dominant platform. And of course, no conversation with Milani about TikTok would be complete without asking about its most viral video, which was the one related to the Depp Heard trial last year. I know a lot of people were asking at the time what the marketing team was thinking when they made that video. Now we have an answer. The interview starts now. Jeremy, thanks for being here today. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. So, Jeremy, we always like to start by talking about the guest's background. You have experience across a wide range of beauty companies. In the past, you were CMO at Kopari. You've worked at Cody and Estee Lauder companies. What first drew you to the beauty industry? Well, thanks for asking. And again, thanks for having me. Uh, Like you said, I've been in the beauty industry for well over 20 years at this point. And it was almost a bit of a happy accident. I was a marketing major at Boston University in the Questrom School of Business, studying marketing and business strategy, and had a burning desire to be in New York. And I actually thought I was going to be in the entertainment or sports marketing world and had an opportunity to join the Estee Lauder internship program and uh, just took a risk. I said, you know what, let me try this. I was introduced to the company through a cousin of mine who had been with the company in a marketing capacity for over 45 years. And she encouraged me to take a chance and learn something and live at NYU for the summer. And they placed me at Aveda. And if I'm being totally transparent, I didn't even know what Aveda was, didn't know what they make, what they stood for. And I went down to New York for the summer and joined the Lauder companies and this internship program and fell in love with the industry. It was just so dynamic, uh, so consumer centric and just really a lot of fun. And I ended up staying at Aveda for five years and I was really uh, captivated by their mission, their ambition, the products that they make. Uh, and had the opportunity to launch and develop their first ever men's line called Performance for Men, and had a lot of great experiences at Aveda. I learned about sustainability and the organics movement before that was even a thing. Uh, I got to work on the pilot of an e-com. It it wasn't even called direct-to-consumer. It was just e-commerce at that point, so a new website, I got the opportunity to learn about freestanding owned storefronts, working with salon distributors, and then working between stylists as your consumer, as well as end home users. So really unique opportunity. And that's how I fell into the beauty industry. And just prior to starting with Milani, you were CMO at MeUndies. How different was that after so many years with so many beauty companies? 
Yeah, that was a really exciting time for me. I, I had always wanted to try my hand at something non-beauty. I think for a very long time, there was a stigma that beauty marketers couldn't work in other categories. And after the five years at the Estee Lauder companies and 11 plus years at Cody working across category and then Copari, I had the unique opportunity and fortune to meet the founder of MeUndies, uh, which is a direct-to-consumer underwear and loungewear brand that has a heavy presence in the membership space. And I really got to sink my teeth into direct-to-consumer. And what it ultimately taught me, and you know, nothing was of a surprise, was that marketing, the fundamentals of marketing do not change no matter the category you're in. It is about understanding consumer trends, consumer insights, and leaning into conversations to make sure that you are top of mind and relevant for that consumer that you are trying to target. So you have this wide range of experience across both the conglomerates and startups. You joined Milani in 2021, and it's not owned by one of the major conglomerates, but it obviously has widespread distribution in line with the conglomerate-owned brands. What do your responsibilities look like at Milani? Are they more in line with the startups you worked with, or is it more along the lines of a Cody? What do you think? So I'd say that Milani is a mid-sized company. We are we're the number eight mass color cosmetics brand in eye, lip, and face, and we are the only independently owned brand within that top 10 and we are, I say we're mid-sized in both in terms of our, our penetration in the marketplace, uh, but we are a small and scrappy team and we all wear multiple hats. And my responsibilities, I'd say are a hybrid of what was true for me at Cody, where I was leading Sally Hansen um, globally versus, let's say, direct-to-consumer business, be it Copari uh, or MeUndies. So my role as chief marketing officer is is sort of multifaceted. So I oversee product development, marketing, creative, our direct-to-consumer business, our Amazon business, as well as all of international. So I get to touch a lot of different things, uh, but at the end of the day, this is really about the team as a whole and making sure that we are working cross-functionally in a harmonious way and really striving for you know, one common objective or multiple objectives that we set out at the course of the, at the beginning of the year. And in this mass beauty space, obviously your competitors, like you said, are these huge conglomerate-owned brands. They're spending big on major TV campaigns and celebrity ambassadors. With that in mind, how do you approach the different areas you prioritize with your marketing budget? Yeah, I think, you know, I've been lucky to have worked at all these different size companies and I understand what goes into a marketing campaign, uh, be it organic or paid media. And at the end of the day, it is about listening to your consumer and being true to who you are as a brand. And I think if you are doing those two things, the consumer will follow and recognize that you are hearing them and that what you stand for is coming to the forefront of both types of content that you're putting out there. And I'd say over the last two years since I've been with Milani, we've taken a moment to just go back and under and really evaluate what has made Milani Milani today. Why do we exist after 20 years of being in the beauty space? And when it comes down to it, there are two reasons that Milani exists and why you know the two founders put the brand out there. 
One was to serve the underserved. So it was originally started to develop uh, beauty products or cosmetics for Black women. And so translate that to today, it is actually about recognizing that not everyone has the, the same skin tone. And so developing formulas across all categories that work on uh, all skin tones is really important and at the core of who we are as a brand. And secondly, it was about delivering prestige quality product without sacrificing performance at an accessible price point. And you put those things, two things together, both the inclusivity, which is where we were born, and the prestige quality at an affordable price point, and you do get a little bit of a unique perspective and proposition in the marketplace. So over the past two years, we've crystallized our manifesto, uh, our tagline, and then looked at all of our content and how we show up both in visual, in words, uh, and with the partners that we play with and creators and influencers to make sure that they work uh, in synchronicity to really tell our brand story. So I think you can do all of that without a lot of money. Yes, would it be helpful to have large budgets? A hundred percent, because that allows you to amplify in a bigger way. But I think what we have done well is spoken with a unified voice and our consumers are helping us tell our story for us. What are your biggest areas of spend right now? So I'd say for us, you know, we we look at how do we partner with the right creators and influencers who aren't there to actually be the brand, but they help tell the story through the lens of their own experience. So to me, that is the consumer. And we look for influencer partners who are native to Milani and have historically used the product and understand what our point of view is, and we let them tell the story for us. So really helping to amplify their voices um, through their content, as well as putting out some of the brand-led content as well. And having worked with brands on both the mass and the prestige ends of the spectrum, how much do marketing priorities differ from a prestige brand? I don't think they differ that much. I think that at the end of the day, there was this notion that you were either a prestige shopper or a mass beauty shopper. I think in the world of beauty today, people shop all channels. They are looking for products that work for them and that deliver on their promise. I don't think there is a notion of trade down. I think there is a, is a concept of trade around. And I think that's what's happening today. So I think ultimately, whether you work for a brand that's distributed through Sephora or Credo or Walmart, Ulta, Walgreens, uh, or Target, you are really trying to make sure that you have a unique place in the market, in the market, are listening to the consumer and knowing what you stand for that sets you apart from your competition, be it in mass or in prestige. And coming from a D2C brand and working with that model, which is all about ownership of the customer data, coming back into the world of a wholesale focused brand that's relying on retailers. What is your approach to data and what are you able to get the most insights on with this kind of model? Sure. You know, if I ladder back up for a second, I think this concept of performance marketing um, was born, call it 10 years ago, when direct to consumer really was in its uh, beginning to peak. 
I don't believe that performance marketing is is relegated to direct to consumer when it comes to data. My philosophy is all marketing has to perform. I think it's about what KPIs are you putting out there uh, that you're holding yourself accountable to as you put out marketing content or programs. And that data then comes back to you in multiple forms. It can come to you through point of sale data, through you know a Nielsen NPD IRI format. It can come to you through your direct-to-consumer business in, in first-party owned data on purchase behaviors. It can come to you in social through social listening and uh, engagement, be it passive or active engagement. So for me, if you take those as a whole, you get to learn a little bit more about who your consumer is, what is their journey, because ultimately, like I said earlier, consumers aren't shopping just one channel. They are potentially hearing about you on social, doing their research about you on Amazon or your own site, and then shopping and converting in a a brick-and-mortar retailer, and then coming back full circle and replenishing that product that they love so much on your direct-to-consumer site or Amazon. So I think being everywhere where she or he is at the moment of truth for them, wherever they are in their journey, is really important. And the data that sits behind that helps you determine how to show up in each of those specific channels. Yeah. What kind of insights have you seen from your customer's typical journey? How important is physical shopping in store these days compared to shopping for makeup on Amazon? What are you seeing? Sure. Well, I think the data speaks for itself about the resurgence and return to brick and mortar across both mass and prestige. You know, having listened to the year-end beauty report from last year, both channels are up significantly. And if we look just at the mass category, mass color cosmetics was finished the year up 9% and Milani finished up 22% in consumption. And I think what that is showing us as direct-to-consumer is still growing, both for retailer.coms and owned.coms, is that all channels are important. I think they are all used for different uh, parts of that consumer journey. I think people go in-store to touch and play. This is a fun category. People want to see the shades for themselves. They want to see the bulk tone. They want to hold the package in their hand, and they want to browse. But then they're also going to do their research either before or during their shopping experience online. And I think what owned DTC gives you the opportunity to do is show up in your best self as a brand. Give them all of the content that you're putting out there, the product information, the reasons to believe in the product, the ratings and reviews from past consumers who have purchased and tried, the opportunity to replenish if they love the product, loyalty programs to earn rewards. And sometimes there are unique products at all different channels. So I think each channel still plays an important role. And I think post-COVID, brick and mortar continues to be an important uh, role for us as a brand and an industry in that journey. And there's so much talk these days about inflation driving consumer decisions. Obviously, with YouTube beauty influencers, we've seen for years all these videos that are a drugstore versus premium and comparing the quality and that sort of thing. But I feel like in the past maybe year or two years, we've definitely seen the rise of this dupe culture right on TikTok and so many influencers doing this um, dupe comparison thing. What is your strategy around using price as part of your communication plan? 
if we go back to why Milani started and our now tagline of beauty that's born inclusive, not exclusive, the role of prestige quality is inherent to who we are, but making it accessible. I think those who work in this industry know that it takes 12 to 18 months to develop new product. And this concept of, you know, historical concept of dupe uh, before, call it five years ago, was really a negative piece. It sounded more of like a copycat kind of brand. But where our consumers and our creators are calling Milani out as being a dupe brand is we offer the same great product that delivers the same results at an accessible price point to those who are sold in a prestige channel. And why I'm happy to celebrate that from, you know, hearing that from our creator and and consumer partners is that because our mission has been around being on trend with prestige quality product, we are launching within relatively the same amount of time at the same time as those prestige brands. So there isn't a copycat mentality. It is we are just there at the right time with the right product at the right price to really democratize beauty for everybody. And we've seen a lot of affordable brands in beauty responding to inflation by raising their prices. And they've often announced this on Instagram or they'll send an email to their consumers explaining why. Where are you guys at? Did you have to raise prices at all? And how have you communicated with consumers? Yeah, you know, like everybody in the beauty industry, and I think it goes outside the beauty industry, I think COVID hit everybody pretty hard. Um, The global supply chain, there were definitely crises across the board, depending on where you were sourcing from. Obviously, there was the war in Ukraine that has not helped in, in terms of sourcing and pricing. And like our our sister brands, we did take price this year, but I think our consumers, again, recognize the value that we are providing to them, and it has not slowed down any momentum. I can tell you that in terms of impact to our business, so I talked about we finished the year up 22%. In the first two months of the, of the new calendar year of 2023%, A, the category in mass beauty was up about 20, 25%. And Milani was up close to 50%. So it's not a barrier for them. They are willing to pay the small incremental cost that they know um, it is taking for us to deliver the same prestige quality products to them. And with this obsession of dupes, TikTok has been a major driver of this trend. There's even the TikTok dupe trend, which is an audio that people are using to talk about this concept. Several Milani products have gone viral. I think your lip oil and concealer. So how does the brand interact with this trend? Do you actually use the term on your own profile? Do you seek out influencers that are known for these kind of um, dupe videos? So we actually do not use the word dupe from uh, brand-led content. We allow the consumers and the creators to use it, you know, that they've started that trend and we embrace it and and allow them to continue to have that moment um, to compare us to whoever they think that we are the dupe for. I'll say where we've been leaning in was last year we saw the hashtag of get ready with me or GRWM was really picking up uh, steam on, on TikTok. And to date, 
videos that have been tagged GRWM, there have been about, have had about 80 billion views. We took a moment and said, hey, this is an opportunity. Again, this goes back to listening to the consumer. We said, let's lean into this. And how, again, as a brand with small budgets, as an indie brand, how do you take advantage of the moment? And we created the Get Ready with Milani. And I really do credit my team. I have an amazing team uh, that I get to work with each and every day who are beauty obsessed. And they came up with the idea of GRW Milani. And we started sending boxes, curated boxes of product. So we did a Clean Girl Summer, which was another trend. It was basically the no makeup makeup look, the five minute face trend. And all of them were tagged with Get Ready with Milani. And with the small amount of free boxes we were sending out to creators, we have seen videos generate over close to 40 million views that are tagged hashtag GRW Milani. And to me, that is about leaning into the conversation um, within, call it the, the dupe culture, but more so being a part of our consumer's everyday life and showing them how our products deliver the best for them. So you also recently had a collab with an influencer known for her embrace of dupe culture, Rocio. Did you want to talk about that collab and how that came about? Sure. Rocio has been an amazing partner for us. We actually started our partnership with her with the launch of Highly Rated Anti-Gravity at the beginning of, uh, or middle of 2021. And she is a, a real a real star and gem for us. She lives up in Washington State. She is a Latina. She really is the ultimate, I'm going to call it Walmart shopper. She understands how to shop this category and makes smart purchases that deliver quality and the right payoff for her skin tone. And we saw that this was an organic relationship and we decided to partner with her for our holiday collection at the end of last year as an exclusive partnership with Walmart, which obviously made sense given her affinity for the retailer and her relatability as an influencer and consumer. So we created two unique uh, eyeshadow palettes for her and get the look concepts that were available only in Walmart on their website and our direct-to-consumer business. And she continues to talk about the brand organically. And, uh, you know, like I said earlier, it's important to find those, both consumers who who start as consumers and become creators who are native to your brand, understand why you exist and help lean into the storytelling. And Rocio will continue to be a big piece of our brand narrative for a long time. And we do uh, love her being part of our family. And as we mentioned, you're obviously no stranger to viral TikTok products. Michaela Noguera has given you guys a shout out with uh, the concealer and I think some other products. What kind of sales spike do you see when something gets featured like that on TikTok. Have you seen a sales correlation with viral products? A hundred percent. Like anybody else, depending on obviously who talks about it, you know, it also, what's amazing about TikTok is 
you don't have to have a large following to have a video go viral. Uh, it is all about having the right sound, the right content, the right hashtags, and then having it picked up. So whether it's Michaela, Rocio, or any of our other creators that you know that are, are featured in our current campaigns like Bella or Alexis, you will start to see spikes in conversion um, and they can be double digit spikes. They can be triple digit spikes. I think it's about, is it relevant for the consumer who is seeing it? And then how do we also start to chase the inventory after from an availability perspective? So we have seen that happen on things like our color fetish mats that started with the beauty radar who created 10 videos on her own uh, and looking for that product. Michaela picked it up, then it went viral and we saw hundreds of videos created around that one product. We've seen it again with our new collection of our facelift collection under Conceal and Perfect that has our blur out powder. We have our highlighter, our brightener, and our contour wands as well. So those start to go viral. And then we also have an exclusive product line at Ulta uh, called Supercharged uh, with an under eye brightener that continues to have pops. Uh, uh, Bethany Frankel helped pop it a couple months ago. And then it happened again with a mom blogger who talked about having sort of dark under eyes from staying up all night with her newborn. And again, it just, it's all about relevance to the consumer who happens to be seeing it. So we take these moments, celebrate them, and want to continue to encourage consumers to talk about our product in whatever way they feel is appropriate and relatable for them and the people who are following them. And I think a big question with TikTok marketing now is how do you jump on an organic trend when something goes viral organically? And then is it possible to replicate that through a paid campaign? What have you seen with that? Do you have any strategies? So I think the get ready with Milani was the beginning of that for us is how we start to test and and lean into conversations that were happening I think uh, you will see a new campaign from us that is in response to a trend that we're seeing on TikTok and on Instagram of this no filter. There is a rebellion against filters on digital filters, AI filters, things like Bold Glamour, uh, where consumers want to see the real you and not the AI filter version of you. And so we're proud to launch a, a campaign called hashtag no filter just Milani in support of our Conceal and Perfect 2-in-1 Foundation, celebrating everyone's own skin for what it is. And why do you need a digital filter when you can just use Milani product and embrace what you have and show it off to the world? So we partnered with six creators uh, similar, the same ones that are in our in-store environment, which was a real mission of mine to bring the talent that we partner with for in-store visuals off the wall and let them have a voice within the everyday brand narrative. So people like Angela and Afune, who goes by Coco Swatches, Bella and Alexis, and they're all featured in this campaign. And yes, they talk about how to use the product, and I love that. But they also talk about why no filter is important for them and what do they celebrate each and every day? So whether it's no filter, just my smile, my confidence, my acne, my own skin. And that campaign, I believe, will help destigmatize the 
the no need for a filter anymore and just show up as you are online and in real life. So that campaign is live and digital. It's an out of home uh, here in the LA area. And we're excited to bring that to life in support of a core property of ours. But again, it is about leaning into a trend and a conversation that we already see happening online. And out of your influencer marketing strategy right now, how much of a priority is TikTokers versus Instagrammers versus YouTubers? What platform are you focusing on? I'd say TikTok has become the dominant platform, but to me, it's about having the right content and the right creators on the right platforms because there are YouTubers who haven't necessarily made the crossover to TikTok, and that's okay. I think every platform plays a role in the communications ecosystem. And I think what marketers are doing in a smart way is leveraging those platforms for what they're best known for. So with YouTube, it has always been long-form content. With Instagram, it's about beautiful pack shots and education. And with, with TikTok, it has been about the creators. So using it for what it's best known for and just amplifying those messages and not having the same content show up in every single platform. Yeah, how has TikTok changed the types of content that get published compared to the Instagram era of beauty? Yeah, I think TikTok has become, it is really the no filter uh, platform and it is more about the consumer's voice um, and the realness that is out there. Instagram has been that in the past, but I think Instagram became a little bit more curated, uh, more product focused, beautiful pack shots, um, education, more carousel based because you have that called mixed medium of video and stills, whereas TikTok is completely video based, music based. And then you have YouTube, which has been more about long form content. Uh, we actually did a partnership with, uh, her name is Jasmine, about a year ago, and she was our holiday campaign. Her handle is Juicy Jazz. And really, she did an amazing job at uh, narrating her viewers through how to use our products to get specific looks and why she loved certain products. And there are people who will sit there in the mirror while they're getting ready with YouTube on and still watch the step-by-step tutorials. So again, it's TikTok has helped, I think, continue to shape each of the platforms and get them all tighter on what they are used for within the consumer space. But ultimately, you have to listen to the consumer on how are they using them and don't try to fight against it, lean into it. And speaking of new types of content from beauty brands on TikTok, I wanted to talk about your brand's most viral TikTok video. It's at 5.6 million views. Our listeners probably know which one I'm talking about if they're chronically online like I am. But in case people don't know, it's the brand's April 2022 post related to a Milani product being shown at the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial. It sparked massive virality online. Walk us through the decision process for making that post. So that was interesting. That was, call it an accident. It was, I personally was not paying attention to the trial. Uh, That is not in my wheelhouse of of, uh, things that I watch. And someone had actually, an influencer had actually tagged us. 
um, who was following the trial, and it was, I believe it was the opening statements, and one of our products was shown. And the influencer on TikTok was documenting the whole the whole trial and was augmenting the videos as they do on on TikTok all the time with their own text overlays, and was clarifying for their viewers that this Milani product was actually launched at a different time. So we saw that we looked at it. We're like, hey, this is someone who's talking about us we're just going to validate that this is in fact when the product launched and they are correct. Um, we did all of our homework to make sure we, you know, reached out to the founders, went back into our sales records, inventory receipts um, before anything goes out there. Again, just to make, we do that with any video. It has nothing to do with this moment. We want to make sure that we are putting out the most accurate information for our viewers. And so we put the video out there more as a, and we stitched it to, uh, to the original, and just said yes. This is essentially when that when that product was launched. Not meant to take sides in this trial. It was just an affirmation of something that was already out there, and that was it. There was no intent behind it. And looking back in hindsight at the reaction to the video, did you expect that big of a reaction? And what do you think about the decision to post it now looking at how people reacted to it? You know, I was definitely surprised at the reaction. I said, like I said, I personally was not following this trial. Um, and I think ultimately what it shows is just the engagement levels of consumers in conversation. So whether it's this, any other product that we put out there, you know, you can like, you can reference some of our other viral moments on TikTok through our products. There's just an appetite for dialogue. And this video just happened to lean into a cultural moment. And I think that is ultimately what all marketers are doing. They are just looking for cultural conversations to be a part of. And how do you lend your voice and credibility into those conversations? So that's how I approach marketing in general. Um, it's not about creating new conversations necessarily. It's just about being where the consumers are at that moment. Yeah, especially with TikTok, there's always discussion of how to get in on the zeitgeist and how brands can join in on cultural conversations happening. What's your philosophy in general with deciding which online trends to jump on or which conversations to join? So, like I said, I have an amazing team that really focuses on this and are at the forefront of these conversations and trends. And we talk about them. And I, I think that's also what's great about Milani is because we're small and scrappy, we are able to quickly react to conversational moments happening. And we talk about it and say, is this something where we want to be a part of it? Does it make sense for our brand? And why are we doing it? Does it ladder up to our point of view and beauty and our consumer? Uh, and then we lean in. If it doesn't, you can pass on it. But I think it is about having a clear sort of decision matrix and an open conversation um, and also even just potentially testing the waters with people internally who are your consumers who are also on these platforms doesn't make sense for us. And who is your target consumer these days? What's your biggest age group? 
again, the brand has been around for 22 years, which I know is a surprise to a lot of people. So we do resonate with, I'd say, the millennials. So the potentially even the older millennials, the 35 to 45 year olds who have a little bit higher level of disposable income, um, who are willing to spend a little bit more on mass products, mass beauty products, and recognize the quality that we that we are delivering um, from an age perspective there. But also the Gen Zs are buying us, again, because this concept of inclusivity is so, uh, I'm going to call it table stakes these days, and it is inherent and native uh, to our brand heritage. And there isn't this need for Milani to, I'm going to call it, wave a flag of we are, you know, inclusive because it's just always who we've been. And the video content that has been put out there, and I'll go back and reference Color Fetish for a second uh, again, because we test all of our products on all skin tones. And that's not just about complexion products, but you have to identify that everyone has different lip colors. So we tested all of our lip shades also on different lip tones. And that need for inclusivity is so important for the next generation of consumers. They're recognizing it as well. And they're the ones also creating the content. So I'd say we are a millennial Gen Z brand, and then we obviously have older consumers as well. So it's not about ignoring anybody. I think it also has to do with where we where we are in the life cycle of this brand. I think from a from a demographic, psychographic profile, our retail partners already tell us that we are their multicultural brand of choice. I personally actually dislike the word multicultural because I think everybody today is multicultural of some sort. But again, we are already developing and delivering product that works across skin tones. And that is why we are an important brand for our retailers to have in store available at the time of a consumer's purchase. And obviously with all the talk in recent years about inclusion and so many brands maybe joining in the conversation late, how did you approach your communication strategy as a brand that has this much longer heritage? I think it goes back to a little bit of the brand philosophy and where who do we want to be for our consumers. And, you know, when Mary Von Prague, who's our CEO and my boss, joined in 2020, it gave us the opportunity and she built a leadership team around her and then this amazing team of employees. It gave us the opportunity to take a step back for a minute and say, why do we exist? We, we've, and why do we continue to thrive? The brand is 20 years old. There's not a lot of beauty brands out there today that have been around for 20 plus years. And why are we resonating with our consumers? So this goes back to the need to listen. And when you interview consumers, be it in person, in social, through social listening, you'll start to hear trends around why we're important to them as a brand, whether it's the product we make, the quality, the, the skin tones, our communication. And for me as a marketer, when I started, I just wanted to sit back and listen and say, how do I take what they're telling me and refine it and crystallize it under the guise of why we started, which like I said, is around inclusivity and accessible luxury. And that is now the 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 guiding light and North Star for everything that we put out there, whether it's in communications or in product. 
what is your role in international marketing? How do you oversee that aspect of the business? Yeah, so I have a great team at International. So like I said at the beginning, um, I'm very fortunate to have uh, be working and overseeing our international distribution uh, strategy and playbook. So we work with uh, distributor partners uh, and direct market, direct relationships with retailers. So today, Milani is sold in over 45 countries. Uh, we have, we're obviously in Canada with, with shoppers, with uh, with Walmart Canada, and then we are thriving in markets like the UK, where we launched in Boots a few years ago, and most recently launched and expanded in Superdrug into over 275 of their doors, and then in Priceline in Australia. And our message has been the same. And I think that is the guiding principle of marketing, is how do you take the brand history and the brand narrative and make sure that it, it, it that it carries and, and travels well and how do you make sure it resonates with the local communities and I've had experience in doing that with brands like Sally Hansen on expanding that brand globally into 65 countries and you just want to make sure that it's not a one-size-fits-all but how does your brand proposition and promise of prestige quality beauty at an affordable price point for an inclusive and diverse audience sit within that marketplace. And so I have an international marketing team in-house um, who works with me on that every day and partners with our direct retailer partnerships as well as our distributors um, around the world in markets like uh, Belgium, in, uh, in the Netherlands, uh, in Mexico, that the brand DNA is translating for those consumers. So to wrap up, we wanted to hear what you're thinking about looking forward for the brand. What are your marketing priorities in the coming year? Do you have product launches in the pipeline? What trends are on your radar? Sure. Uh, I'd say my, my number one focus actually is within the four walls of the company. First and foremost, it's my team. Um, I know that's not a marketing trend, but that's a personal goal, is how do we continue to develop the next generation of marketing leadership across all levels? And part of doing that is allowing them to have a voice at the table and asking for their opinion, and then using, from an executive perspective, a strategic filter for them to help give them guidance and allow them to test and learn their way through the process. I'd say when it goes into product assortment and, you know, we've done, I'd say as a, as a, as a Milani leadership team and then as a company, a really amazing job of harmonizing our portfolio, giving this sort of strategic lens to portfolio and product architecture, building iconic franchises and then launching new products under those franchises that halo the brand. So example, Conceal and Perfect, like I said, we have our new facelift collection that really ladders back up to our main complexion business of Conceal and Perfect. We are just launching our new Stay Put Longwear Liquid Lipstick. Halos are Stay Put. We have a Stay Put Infinite Eyeliner, a Stay Put Brow. So what does stay put mean to the consumer? It's all about long wear. So I'm continuing to partner with our product team, our marketing team, 
and our retailers and saying, hey, what do you all see next? You're at the front lines. Where do we need to go? What's the white space that we as a brand have permission to play in? And where can we continue to capitalize on trends that we know will happen in the prestige market that we are going to bring to mass as well to democratize that um, for the consumer? In terms of actual marketing campaign trends, I wish I had a crystal ball like everybody else, but I'm just going to continue to follow the conversation and use our media partners to help guide those, whether it's TikTok or Meta or Google or whatever platforms don't exist today that will be important to us tomorrow. And having those conversations with our consumers as well to tell us where do we need to be to continue to help tell our brand story and spread the the word that Milani is the brand to beat right now. Well, we'll continue to follow all things new with marketing. And thank you so much for taking the time today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks for tuning into the Glossy Beauty Podcast. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. Please don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. See you next week.